Welcome to Craft of Code, a podcast brought to you by Linode that explores the stories of developers, entrepreneurs, and enterprises of all sizes from all over the world who share our mission to make cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible to all. the last time that you went online to put in a service request for your home or ship a package. You start to enter your address at checkout and bam, the address auto-populates. Technology has advanced a lot since the early days of e-commerce. Companies like Netflix, Zillow, DHL, AT&T, and even NASA are using sophisticated location data intelligence to pinpoint the exact address they need to provide the best service possible. And many of them are doing it on a platform called Smarty. Jonathan Oliver, CEO and CTO of Smarty, is here with us today to talk about how learning to code at eight years old started him on a journey that today sees some of the most well-known companies in the world using his platform to process trillions of addresses a year. Jonathan, welcome to the Craft of Code podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So you started coding at eight, and by high school, you were working with small businesses to help them with their online stores. It's hard to remember a time before e-commerce for some of us. Uh, you know, When was that, and how did you step into this particular market? Well, that's a great question. Uh, so yeah, I mean, when I was eight, let's just go back a little bit more. Um, my, my, I'm the youngest in my family, a uh, family of four, and all my siblings are quite a bit older than me. And so my dad brought home a, a computer for his business uh, one day and set it, set it down. He's not very technical and he didn't really know how to use it. And so it just kind of sat there. And, and uh, I just found out that when I started typing things into this computer, it would listen to me. Unlike my siblings, you know, again, I'm the youngest. So when I would tell them to do things, they didn't do it. Uh, but then I would tell this computer to do stuff and it followed my instructions perfectly. I loved it. Um, and so that's kind of how I got my uh, start in computing generally. But then in, as far as the... Uh, working with businesses and so forth. This would have been uh, the late nineties. I mean, there was the whole dot-com uh, thing going on at the time and a lot of, there's a lot of rush to get online and so forth. And so I just, uh, I worked with uh, a dating website. I was helping them do some engineering and so forth. That's kind of how I got started uh, commercially speaking. Um, and so I just uh, helped them with uh, che- the checkout system. I mean, all kinds of stuff I was doing with them. Um, and then, move forward into the early 2000s, I was doing consulting uh, for, gosh, a dozen or so companies, just helping them with their e-commerce. And and by this point, everyone's like, okay, is e-commerce still going to be a thing? Because again, 2001, there was the dot-com bust. Uh, There was a massive like uh, uh, moving away from, from, and I I didn't, I didn't agree with that. I thought, I was like, you know what, this internet thing, it's, it's a, it's going to be here to stay because it was just my, my world. Uh, whereas a lot of other people were like, oh, internet, yeah, it's a passing fad. It, it won't last long. Uh, and I, I just stuck with it and I just continued helping with uh, uh, e-commerce types of integrations with stores, uh, just uh, brick and mortar type stuff, uh, generally helping them uh, get their online presence going. So when you got started, what were some of the hurdles you saw companies well, trying to overcome? Right? Because I, 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 I would imagine that was a rough hurdle. time back yeah. then. I mean, you, you go back to the, I mean, go back to the, the, the late nineties, I mean, early two thousands, I mean, ev- everything was a hurdle. Uh, I mean, uh, keeping a computer connected to a network was a hurdle. Uh, I mean, uh, networking generally, I mean, this is the TCP IP had been around for a while, but it still wasn't, 
the established standard. I mean, there were alternative standards you could use uh, for for networking and so forth. Uh, uh, token ring was another. Anyway, just I mean everything like just the, the entire stack, top to bottom uh, of the stack was was a was a monster. I mean, Java had been out for a while. Uh, but even Java was hard. I mean, IDEs uh, for for Java were very primitive at the time, um, and and so at every stage it was just like pulling teeth. Uh, whereas nowadays you can click, 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 and you know you've got yourself a you know you've got yourself a container running in the cloud, and it's awesome. You are giving me early career flashbacks right now. <laughs> So, so what was that the sort of the moment back in the back in the nineties? Was that the moment that you knew you needed to build something to help them? Yeah. Uh well, I mean it it, it came over time. Uh like that was I, I did consulting for a number of years uh and did did a few other things. I was uh I saw in doing software engineering uh with various companies um for a number of years and but i just kept seeing the same problem over and over again and i got really good at the e-commerce uh integration stuff and there were things coming out uh, over time you know in various languages in php there was some e-commerce related stuff but but uh one thing one thing that i found was that the number of steps and people didn't realize this at first but the number of steps in your checkout process had a direct correlation to your conversion. Uh, uh, like if you had, I mean, I remember in the, in the 90s, like, oh yeah, we need to, we need to follow the, uh, our, our, our like online, not our online, but our, like our phone scripts perfectly. Like we have to answer all the same questions in the same order. And then you'd have to like each, each couple, every couple of questions, it was a different page that you would click to. Uh, the whole thing was terrible. And I remember telling companies, I'm like, you know, this, I don't know anything about like, you know, metrics and conversion stuff, but it seems that this maybe you might want to consider making this like a page or two. Uh, and, and it was a struggle to get a lot of these companies to get down to a three, maybe even four page, uh, you know, like online checkout. Uh, and so all things, uh, all things considered, I was like, okay, let's try to get this thing as small as possible, as short as possible. And that's where the address component came in because we found, I found that if we could, um, Based on our IP address, we could pre-populate. Uh, typically, you could pre-populate city, state, and zip, and that actually helped quite a bit. Um, and so that's the first thing that I started to productize back in the, this would have been um, the mid-2000s. Um, I was created something around that. And then shortly thereafter, I, I started getting requests like, well, okay, this is great, but can you can you verify the address? Can you tell me if it's real or not? And, and from that point, I'm like, well, no, not yet. No, we don't do that. And and finally, after getting that a few hundred times, I'm like, okay, maybe I should look at this thing a little bit. Uh, and then spent a number of years building some technology some, uh, around that. And around 2011, that's when Smarty Streets was born. Right. So for our listeners, Smarty started out as a product that you called Smarty Streets. Correct. So let's get into this, right? What happened in the decade between 2011 and 2021 that sort of caused you to rebrand and launch the company that Smarty is today? Yeah. When, when we originally started out, I mean, we, we were, uh, you could like drag and drop, you could upload like an Excel spreadsheet, uh, to our website. Uh, and it, this was all using, uh, this, this is all powered by a wonderful technology called Ajax. If we, if we ever remember this, this goes, this goes way back. Uh, and, uh, it's like, uh, actually going into the mapping realm for a second. Uh, I mean, MapQuest was a, you know, a big thing years ago. And then, uh, and then Microsoft, I remember they had their own mapping technology. It was like a, a, uh, like a download, you know, you download and install some software. I'm trying to remember the, what it was called. It was Microsoft map. 
uh, great Microsoft naming tech, uh, uh, convention. Was, was, that, Car- was that Carta? What was it in Carta? In, Car- in Carta was their encyclopedia. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't remember what the other, anyway, it was map, map point, maybe. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, but it was downloaded. It was local. You installed it. And, and uh, if you would have told me, this is around 2006, if you would have told me that just like a year or so later that there would be a JavaScript browser-based mechanism that was going to be better than a locally installed piece of software, I would have laughed you out of the room. And then, boom, all of a sudden, you know, Google Maps came out and it had that cool, like, uh, tile-based, you know, again, it was Ajax, it was what we called it at the time, uh, technology that powered it, where it would just download little tiles at a time as you scroll around. Crazy awesome. I, I, I was blown out of the water by it. Uh, and nowadays, of course, it's, uh, it's ubiquitous. But uh, anyway, going back to 2011, when we started, we had this uh, website. It was just very simple, self-service. Uh, and and we started to develop um, APIs, JSON-based APIs. Uh, well, we, our original one was developed using SOAP. It was XML. You had a WSDL definition and so forth. And then with, before too long, it was like, you know what? This is, it was painful to work with. And we're like, let's just do a simple JSON-based one. That was a lot easier, a lot, a lot more lightweight. And that's kind of been our bread and butter since then is, is various uh, APIs that you can interface with. And, and um I remember at a launch event for .NET back in uh, the early 2000s, there was a uh, there was a guy who was a big Microsoft chief engineer there, and he was saying, "And guess what? You can you can develop this. Uh, you can develop your software, and you can use an API that's running on a computer in some guy's garage in Australia." And the only thing I could think of, and, and everyone was like applauding, like this is some amazing thing that you can distribute your software and you can have an API call. It would call it to anything, and it was irritating to me because I'm like. But what happens when that computer goes down? What happens when the network, you know, this is this is uh, uh, distributed computing 101, the fallacies of distributed computing, where it's like, well, the network's reliable. Well, it's not actually that reliable. And so what happens when that machine goes offline? So uh, between, so, so we had an engine, we had a product, but my specialty is actually the engineering side of distributed systems. So, you know, you're you were talking about the trillions of addresses per year that we process. That's kind of my specialty. So I, I make the system scalable. I make it fast. And so that's where I come in with, uh, with a lot of the understanding of, of eventual consistency and other kinds of concepts uh, in order to make it so that, that we can scale the thing and we can handle, you know, the load. I mean, we, we go from, uh, we go from hundreds of thousands of addresses a second, just normal baseline load, and all of a sudden, within ten seconds, we're being saturated with a million or you know five million a second, uh, and so we have to be able to adapt to that load very, very, very quickly, uh, and that's kind of where I come in. So, but anyway, between 2011 2021, um, so we rebranded as Smarty in 2000, at very end of 2021, early 2022, uh, two reasons. Uh, number one, we bought the domain. Uh, we, we got a, we got smarty.com and that, that took a while. Um, and, and a great uh, set of people that, that owned it previously, they were maybe going to do something, but never did. But we, we had some great conversations with them and ultimately, and we were able to purchase it. But, but in addition, we also expanded our product line to be more, not just pure street, like address stuff, but now more location data, uh, reverse geocoding, um, all kinds of things like that. And, and I should say, if there's one thing that happened, you know, really between 2011 and 2021 uh, that caused the rebrand, uh, it, it's how technology has evolved. It's specifically the the ubiquity of the cell phone and specifically the smartphone, uh, you know, an iPhone or an Android with maps and GPS on the device itself. And all of a sudden now, 
reverse geocoding is a lot more interesting because oftentimes you're at a location, you're like, I don't know where I am, um, but I, I know the coordinates uh, and that's, that's based on your phone. And then from that coordinate, we can say, oh, here's your address. Like this address is like 30 feet away from you. And then, and then that's like really useful for emergency services. I mean, there's all kinds of use cases for that. Now, I'm old enough to remember the days when we printed, yes, printed MapQuest maps <laughs> when we needed directions. Uh, at the time, even that was pretty advanced, right? Um, so we've, and we've just talked about a little bit about this, but talk to me what you've seen change in the market and how location-based technologies have changed over the years. Yeah, and, and I was mentioning this just a moment ago. It was the idea of cell phones. I mean, that, that's, that, that is, I think, the single biggest game changer at mobile-based uh, devices – uh, portable devices, that kind of stuff where, I mean, you, you think about, I mean, it, the, the magnitude shift there is akin to a room based computer. Like you think of what is, what is a computer? What is it? You know, it's like a, a big, huge thing that occupied an entire room to what, you know, in the, in the late nineties, whatever, Oh, here's a desktop or, you know, and, and, uh, and then getting to a point, I mean, even a laptop, all things considered, yes, sure. It's portable, but not really. It's it's not really usable on the go. So the the magnitude of the shift to true mobile, specifically mobile devices, uh, cell phone, uh, that is you can't overstate that. I mean, it has it fundamentally uh, changed. I mean, this is this is the same kind of thing uh, with um, uh, people talk about. Uh, oh, there was a, a word processor. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm old enough to go like, okay, Word Star, you know, and like, and then there was. Uh, like, uh, oh gosh, there was a ton of these guys, but word perfect was like the, the, the epitome of amazing. It was like the best word processor ever. And Microsoft word wasn't that great. Uh, but then the one, the one thing that, um, word perfect missed in the market was the shift to windows away from DOS. And so the mobile stuff is the exact same kind of transition. It was completely, completely revolutionized how we interact with, with machines. Uh, and Windows was the same at the time. It was how do we interact with the machines? Is it from a command line? Is it from a, a you know point and click interface? Um, in any case, but from from a mapping perspective, I mean it's it's awesome to see all of the the things that are happening now around location technology, uh, and again the ubiquity of it and the 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 need to have uh, good location information at your fingertips at all times. Well, yeah, I mean just like contacts where we don't know anybody's phone number anymore <laughs> it's very similar on on mapping right because of because we have those phones with us all those devices with us all the time that we don't think about whether i go left or right here it's going to tell me where yeah, I go. you just you just and you completely rely on it i mean it's I, i've i've uh i remember times you know pre, even pre you know pre-map quests it's like you'd actually take a physical map it's like okay you're complete you're in an unfamiliar town you're visiting some location and you're like okay i don't know how to get from point a to point b you don't have, you know, turn, turn by turn directions. Uh, you just got to, you got a map and you got to study the map and okay, where am I? And good luck. You know, that's, and, and nowadays it's like, we've, we've completely delegated. I mean, this is both good and bad. It's good because we get anywhere, anywhere we want, but then if you're ever in some kind of like off, you know, offline type of scenario, like, well, how do I get there? And hopefully you've got a mapping technology on your phone that, that allows offline, you know, Google maps does of course, but, but just that kind of thing. So uh, we completely rely on the technology for better or worse. It is almost impossible to get lost anymore. <laughs> so 
So let's switch gears slightly and talk about the technology that powers Smarty, uh, because I imagine it takes a little bit to to make all of this stuff happen. As I understand it, used to run uh, used to run on Amazon, switched to Linode, and I wanted to learn a little bit more about why you did that because it seems a little counter to how a lot of people do things. Yeah, so we started using Amazon um, back around. Oh gosh, I mean, I should I should say I started using Amazon uh, around two thousand. 6 2007 when all of a sudden they came out with this amazing technology it was like wait a second i can i can upload a file here to this thing simple storage service and it just keeps it there and i don't have to worry about it and it was it was awesome um and over time you know of course amazon uh cloud developed uh, out of amazon and and they they had their uh you know their elastic cloud compute and um among other technologies and what's happened is amazon being first to market uh in many regards uh well, I, let me back up. I should say virtual servers and and you know the the early ideas of cloud already existed. Amazon wasn't doing a whole lot that was new there per se, uh, but they just had a, the scale of it was was impressive. Um, and nowadays we would use the term hyperscale uh, to talk about, like for example, an Amazon cloud. But what's happened over time is they've they've become the. Uh, Let's say it this way. Back in the day in technology, you'd say, okay, no one ever got fired for buying IBM. No one ever got fired for buying Microsoft. No one ever got fired for buying Oracle. That's, you know, it's kind of a cover your butt type of scenario where you're trying to like make sure you don't get blamed for what goes wrong. Uh, and now, nowadays, it's no, no one ever got fired for buying Amazon. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good choice. Uh, you kind of have to look at your requirements, what you're trying to achieve, uh, the outcomes you're looking for. And we just found that that uh, the more the more we would... The, the more we adopted Amazon specific technologies, the more we were locked into and, and beholden to what they wanted and, and how they wanted to operate. And, and uh, so we just decided, well, maybe we don't want to, you know, maybe we, we want to pick best breed technologies that we, that we want to use. Maybe we want to have, um, oh, maybe we don't want to pay 10 cents a gigabyte for egress bandwidth. You know, that's, that's a big one. I mean, we have a fair amount of egress bandwidth. And 10 cents a gig really adds up. And so all of a sudden we were realizing like, well, maybe there's ways to, to potentially save on some of the bandwidth charges. And uh, so th- there has been, over the years, there's been a movement into the cloud. But I think of late, there's actually been uh, more thought around what do we need uh, from the cloud and the hyperscale clouds. Sure, they can deliver you hyperscale, but do we actually need that? Uh, and 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 yes, you can, so are there ways to adopt cloud with the best of the cloud without getting the worst of the lock-in of the cloud? That's that's really the the idea. So there's right. I mean, there's a movement of cloud, cloud one. Yeah, right. A cloud V one, and I, I would use the term cloud repatriation of moving away from or or uh, it used to be like sprinkle some cloud pixie dust on it, and everything will just everything will it'll solve all your problems. Well, the cloud, the way that you if you operate in the data center, your own data center, like you do in the cloud, well, you're going to pay for it through the nose. And people discovered that uh, over the last few years, over the last four or five years. So there again, there's a movement kind of to to kind of balance. Okay, what's what can the cloud get me that I can't get myself? Like I don't want to build a data center, right? I, that's uh, like there are people that do that that do it very well um, that run the machines. And so there's kind of a nice mix. There's a nice sweet spot. And this is this is where we find Linode is is it's it's right in that sweet spot of like okay, it gives us it gives us the things we need, and and but it doesn't like it hasn't been diluted like, oh, well, now you can run your own. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of all the different like, uh, oh, uh, like 
translation service APIs and, oh gosh, and, and not saying that these things aren't important, like again, translation service, but why, why are you using Amazon for that? Is there like a specialty provider that does a better job or like video transcoding? You know, is there a better, is there a better service that does video transcoding apart from the built in, the built in one to Amazon? Uh, so these are like, oh gosh, there's also the, um, what was that big search one? They, they, they forked the code on, I'm trying to remember that one. Anyway, there's a, there's a bunch of little like, um, the, the, and the, the, they've also found that uh, different cloud providers aren't necessarily good stewards and open source. They'll, you know, there's a lot of like cloud licenses now, I should say that where it says, okay, if you're going to host this thing, you're going to run it as a cloud platform. You can't use this. You actually have to make sure that your patches come back into the original source or you have to pay for it and so forth. So there's, there's a lot of like downsides there that we've, that we've seen um, uh, just in the, in the open source realms. Uh, but again, Linode just fits right in that sweet spot of we've got, you know, the compute resources, we've got them on demand. They come up, they come up very, very quickly. Um, and, and the simple pricing is so nice because again, I, I don't know how many times I've been like smacked upside the head by like uh, the, the Amazon bill. And of course there's like alerts and so forth that you set up, but even so it's like, Really? Did it really cost that much? Like, wait, we spent how many hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of dollars for this one resource when we thought it was going to be like a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars? So it's like usually an order of magnitude for like, uh, we, we did that wrong. So, um, yeah, we're, and, and we're just really excited about uh, all the things that Linode offers. Uh, and, and again, like I said, it's just right in that sweet spot. Yeah, it's, you know, a lot of people... You know, a lot of companies early on, right? You you get into the cloud and you do what you have to do to to make everything work, and it's early, and it's early on, and where it feels like we're hitting a another inflection point in the That's industry really where everybody's taking a chance. Now that we're now that we're you know now that the cloud has won, right? Now they have a chance to step back and say, okay, now let me see what's really right for my business and what fits best, and not just from a technology or a price performance standpoint, but also from how do our cultures fit, right? Mm-hmm. How does how does how does all of that work for me? Because we have to think differently about that um, there. But so let's talk a little bit, if we if you don't mind, about you know what your experience has been like uh, so far with Linode. You know, it sounds like it's been pretty good, but I I want to learn more about some of the technologies you're using and why you're using them. Because uh, you know we hear a lot from customers about things like price performance and support. Uh, you know, as they you know as they is they as they've worked with other cloud providers before, and it's and you know that's the other part, right? It's not like it's not like you're probably working just with Linode, right? I would imagine you're spread out a little bit. Yeah, as, as a distributed systems engineer, I try to try to avoid keeping too many eggs in one basket, and so we're we're set up where we're actually using a lot of the uh, um, other cloud. Pro- so we have we have Linode. We also use DigitalOcean. Uh, there's Vulture is another one that we use that we quite like. And again, they're all they're they're. I try my my objective is to try to insulate us from the particulars of the uh, of a given cloud service. I, I know that sounds uh, a little antithetical to what we're trying to talk about, but it's the the cool part about this is that we can actually put resources, more resources where we find the most value. and then if if the vendor or provider isn't treating us right, we can actually shift away very, very quickly. Uh, and so that's that's my objective is trying to insulate us from uh, from a single point of failure or dependency, if that makes sense. Um, but where it, where it does, it's the it's the it's the the cloud. Let's let's coin this term now. It's the cloud fediverse. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Um, and uh, so there's 
yeah, we're just, I'm trying to insulate, uh, you know, our, I try to architect the system so we don't, we don't depend on any one given, uh, and, and Kubernetes has, has been really great for that. Uh, a lot of, lo there's been, you know, a lot of both good and bad spoken about Kubernetes, um, and all things considered, it's actually doing its job, which is to try to insulate you from, from the particulars of the cloud provider APIs, uh, the, the nuances of it, and they try to create a nice little, uh, level playing field, so to speak. And, and what that does, like I said, is allows us to play where there's the most value. We can say, you know, we need to spin up more capacity here because we're getting a lot more value. Well, let's send more traffic over in this direction because it's, it's working well for us. And, and as long as that relationship is, you know, beneficial both ways, then that, that's, that's how it goes. And then, and then if, again, a given cloud provider starts to like, uh, oh, we're going to raise prices by 50% or we're going to, you know, whatever the, whatever the situation is, uh, we're going to start charging, you know, 50 cents a gigabyte for bandwidth or, what, you know, whatever they want to do. We say, okay, well, that's great. We're not locked into you and we're, we're going to go ahead and move away. Uh, so so how, yeah. how easy is it? To, I mean, a, we know that a lot of providers make it very easy to get your workloads in mm -hmm. and then nearly impossible to get them out, right? Or prohibitive to get them out. Given your given your distributed background, um, you know, and some of the other stuff that we've talked about, how important is you know is that that sort of open model uh, that a provider has, and and we've talked, you know, you've talked a couple of times about the you know the AP you know AP the power of the API, which I think is something that's coming back again, right? We're st the industry starting to refocus on, ooh, this is a really big thing. <laughs> like, it, we need to focus on that. Like, how do they play in? So. Go. I want to make sure I understand your question fully. Let's let's walk me through that question one more time because there's a couple of thoughts I was having, but I'm, I'm getting there's a bunch of different ways. So ask that question again so I can follow it through in, a, in the right way. Let's start with this, right? So a lot of a lot of providers make it easy to get your stuff to bring your stuff in, make it very hard to get it out, whether it's through close you know closed proprietary systems or you know price you know just pricing on on getting it out. And a lot of the key to that, I believe, is the, you know, is, you know, a powerful API to be able to, and an open API to be able to get that out. How important is that to you? And how have you seen that work across other providers in Whittle and Node? Yeah. So, so the, these, you know, it's funny because uh, uh, Amazon, uh, you know, their S3, um, oh, this is, this is so funny. Their S3 API has become to a certain extent ubiquitous. Uh, I, I remember, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the days when, um, Oracle, uh, they sued, who was it? They've sued everybody. Um, but they were suing, uh, I believe it was, well, there was, yeah, this was, this was Google. Uh, this particular case was Google. This was about the, you know, how many lines of, uh, Unix code were copied into the, into the Linux, you know, whatever. I don't remember all the particulars, but it was, it was all about, oh yeah. And, and, and there was, there was some arguments about like the definition of APIs and can you copy the API interface, not the implementation and so forth. It's just very fun. Um, and then it was really funny to see the Oracle cloud copy the S3 object API. Uh, I'm like, wait a second, this is the exact same thing <laughs> that they were suing over. <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, yeah, open APIs are a big deal. I mean, and that doesn't necessarily mean the APIs have to be um, just as long as you have an API. I think that's the that's the starting point. You know, having having a standardized API is nice, but but every vendor is going to have their own their own particular nuance to it, and so you have to you have to work through that and. and you know, the businesses have to kind of map how they want to approach it. And that's, I think that's one reason that you get uh, vendor lock-in is because, okay, well, no one ever got fired for buying Amazon. Okay, we'll just go ahead and adopt their APIs and they've just made it so easy. And, 
And then you, and then before they make it so easy to get in, like you said, and then the engineering teams aren't really worried about adaptability and portability. They're just like, okay, I'm just trying to get this thing working. And they, they implement, you know, something using the Amazon API. And before you know it, you adopt another, another API and another API and another API. And then before too long, you're, you're stuck. Uh, and then when you're, when you're engineering your, your hosting bill is, you know, uh, six figures or whatever the number happens to be, um, like, wait a second, what, how do we get into this mess and how do we get ourselves out of it? So, I mean, op- APIs, I, you know, it's, it's a tool, you know, it's, it's a sharp knife. You can, you can do a lot with a sharp knife, and, but you can hurt yourself quite a bit as well. It's a great, great analogy. So early on, we talked, you know, Smarty has an enviable list of client names, right? Big, big names and brands on your, on your list. Um, is it only, you know, is it only a service for large enterprises? How do you fit in across that spectrum of, you know, customer size? Well, we've got, we've got the whole range from the mom and pop uh, type stores, you know, startups, uh, enterprise, and uh, it's very, our model is actually similar to Linode in, in a lot of ways in that we've, we've adopted a self-service approach uh, to begin with. So what we do is, you know, you can go to the website and you can, you can go through and check out within five minutes, you've got, you know, five minutes is even kind of a generous amount. Uh, it, within a few minutes, you've got, uh, you've got the address verification up and running and, and you can integrate it using SDKs and plugins and so forth. So it's very, very simple. And again, for, you know, not very much money, we have various price, uh, various plans are, that are uh, reasonable for small business uh, and, and startups and so forth. And so you can get going very, very quickly. And then for those that need uh, a little bit more um, high touch, maybe the way to, to phrase it, where they want to, to understand all of the offerings and have uh, you know, a, a customized package of, okay, we want a little bit of this and a lot of that and a little bit of that, and a little of this, and, and they can put it together. And so we can, you, know, you, can, you can talk to sales. Uh, so, and this, this is one of those fun things, like as much as, uh, as an engineer, like I don't want to talk to anybody, just, just give me these, can I just go through and sign up? Like, I understand that there, that's not the, that, that's the way it was built. But I understand that that's not what everyone wants. So we do have uh, a, a, you know, people you can talk to in sales. You can call us. Somebody, will, a real person, will answer the phone. Uh, but it's the whole range, like I said, from very small business, uh, you know, one two people, all the way up to you know, you know, Fortune Fortune five hundred, Fortune one hundred. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the big boys are uh, playing with us. So um, and and they do so because we can handle the load. I mean, we had a we had a government agency, uh, and they were they were asking, okay, well. Yeah, we want to make sure you, you guys can handle us. And we're like, okay, well, how many how many addresses are you going to send? They're like six million, and we're like, is that in a in a minute or an hour or a day? And they're like, total six million total. They thought they were big, and we're like, and we started laughing, and they, they didn't understand. We're like, no, 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 no. That's like that's like within within like a few seconds. That's how many addresses we process. They're like, oh, okay, that and that. So we got the deal. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and speaking about that, speaking about those bit, you know, those big uh, enterprise level cu- customers. In March, Akamai acquired Linode, and you know, Akamai with from that giant networking and you know CDN CDN heritage. What are you looking forward to? As you know, as that continues to play out, I would imagine I would imagine that's got some some impact for you. Absolutely. I mean, Akamai actually, I I've admired that organization for a number of years. Uh, uh, it's 
whenever there were scaling problems way back in the day in terms of band, I mean, bandwidth, you remember videos, the early days of video streaming, it seemed like nobody could handle the load. And all of, and, and Akamai was the only one that actually seemed to be able to do anything. So I've actually had quite a bit of respect uh, and admiration for that organization in terms of their technical chops and, uh, you know, again, their, their ability to actually deliver on what they promise. Uh, and so when, when the acquisition of Linode came through, I'm like, oh, like, you know, there's, there's, there's sometimes there's like, oh, no, no, the, the, the Linode's going to disappear or whoever the, you know, the, the, the child or the, the acquired company, they're, they're going to disappear. But I actually wasn't worried about it in this case. Um, I wasn't worried about it in this case because again, I think there's a real good synergy there. I mean, Amazon, uh, you think about it, it's like one of the big things their, their, their advantage is their network, um, Whereas, uh, you know, Linode, like they're, you know, primarily just like they're, they're just disparate data centers and they're having to lease capacity from all the network providers and so forth. And so I think it's a great marriage between the two. Uh, it's a best of, best of kind of scenario. Uh, so I'm actually really excited about it. And of course, I realized it's going to take a little bit of time to like, you know, put the two together. Okay, what's the road, the technology roadmap look like? And, and, but I'm, I'm very excited for the future. Uh, I think, I think things are only going to get better. Great. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. If there's anything that I missed, uh, feel free to uh, jump on in uh, and close on out. But I do want to, you know, if anybody wants to reach you or find out more about what Smarty is doing, uh, where can they find that? Well, yeah, Smarty.com, S-M-A-R-T-Y.com. Uh, and then I, I've got a, a I've got a blog. I actually don't maintain a blog much anymore, but I, I, I thought about doing some posts late. JonathanOliver.com. Uh, and you can put that in the show notes if you want. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter, uh, Jonathan underscore Oliver, GitHub, J Oliver. So yeah, I'm, I'm here and there online. Great. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time today. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to craft of code. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please subscribe to make sure you're the first to hear when we release future episodes and we'd love it if you left a review.